In this episode of the Racing Line podcast, the boys answer some listener questions, discuss some of Joey's ponderings, and talk about various topics from different categories of motorsport. All this and more on this second episode of 2022. Alright, guys, episode two of the Racing Line podcast for 2022. It's been a fortnight since our last discussion, so there's been a little bit of time for us to percolate and and ponder. So just to begin with, how are we going? What's been happening? Not, not bad, my man. Not bad at all. Hey, Navigating in this COVID world, mate. Yep. Yep. I've, I can um, safely say that I've fully re- I made a full recovery from the vid um, and I'm, you know, roaring and ready to go for our second podcast of the year. Mixie, how are you going, brother? Mate, been percolating well. Have you? Have you? Look a bit nice, tense, buddy. Yeah, nice wife, Betty, you've got on there, mate. Just uh, <laughs> embracing the Aussie summer. That's it. That's the way. So let's just jump straight into it, boys. We, we're still at a point where there isn't a whole lot of racing to talk about. So it's probably a good chance for us to start with a little bit of fan engagement. So, H, how would you like to begin the yep. pod? Yep. So I posted um on our Instagram page the other day for people to put up some questions for us to discuss in the pod. Mm. Um, first one I got was from Dylan, um, and he asked, who do you think will be the future world champions and how many will they win? Um, so I've taken that as current grid, you know, drivers from Formula 2 that are potentially, you know, like Oscar Piastri, et cetera. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll open it up. Joey, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, so I'm just having a quick think, and I'm going to say Charles is going to win two. Can you throw me that question again? Yeah, so who do you think will be a future world champion and how many will they win? I think I'm going to say Charles will win two. Yep. Um, I mean, there's there's a few more that I could pick from the grid, but I think from the grid at the moment, that would be the, the I think the next one to win. Him or Carlos, but I'd say, let's say, um, let's say Charles and he, I think he'll win two. That's my pick of the day. Okay. I um I'm gonna go with, and this might be a little bit of a oddball, but this is obviously provided that he can get into a top running team. I think Pierre Gasly has a championship in him. Um, whether that's well, it's obviously not gonna be at Toro Ross or Alpha Tauri, but I think if he can get himself into a top team, however that plays out with the new regulations, or if when um, Hamilton leaves, if he can find himself in a Mercedes or something like that, but I think Pierre, Ga- Pierre Gasly's got the um, the credentials to do something like that. Apart from that, leave the rest for us, eh? All right, you have a go then, Mickey. <laughs> I, I like both. Um... Both names that have been thrown out there, and um, Leclerc would have been my 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 favourite. Um, since Anthony's already mentioned Gasly, I'd have to go with Norris. Um, I mean, we'd say that he already is at a pretty good car um, right now, um, but I think his trajectory is 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 upward, um, and you, you never know; he could potentially win one um, with a bit more consistency, um, finishing around the the top more frequently um you know especially if hamilton does retire in in the not too distant future it could get really interesting um 
in F1. So with these new regs that we keep talking about, um, should open the playing field up even more. And yeah, Lando would have to be my pick. Yep. Well, I think so. uh, yeah, I'd prefer. Well, I think um, GR. No, no, yeah, you will. We all know I'd love that to happen, but definitely GR. I think uh, my top pick would have been um, Leclerc for sure. But I think George Russell in a in a competitive Merc, even with Hamilton, I think he could take the the reins of that team. And also, I think if Oscar gets himself in a in in you know the next five or six years gets himself in a competitive car, I think he's shown in the junior categories that he will be a force to be reckoned with. I don't know what you guys think, but I think if he stays with Alpine as a as a constructor, our um, engine manufacturer, if they get their their chassis right, if they get their engine working better, I think they could be a dark horse in the future. You would hope I so. Mm. I think one thing that's always interesting is when you, whenever you see um, even just like a not average but like a mid tier F one driver go do branch out and do other stuff that's when you realize how elite all these drivers are. Um, it's like there's so many of these young guys who come in and, and you think if, if the cards had fallen right, that what they could have done. Um, because whenever they, they like, even like you see uh, what grows on last, you just venture into, into IndyCar, you know, IndyCar is not full of any scrubs. And mm. like within a year of never racing these tracks, and like the cars are totally different and the tracks are much um less what's the word um manicured um he's like in his rookie season shown like hey like I'm, i wasn't like the greatest in formula one but put me up against really good talent from around the world and i'll still you know like be the rookie of the year kind of thing yeah. well um, think about this we talk about someone like um giovanazzi last when our last episode saying that you know he doesn't deserve a seat anymore. He should be moving on and things like that. And it's all warranted conversation. But he was a Formula 2 world champion. And at yeah. the time, he was in a, in a situation like Piastri where there was no seat ready for him when he you know, won Formula 2 and couldn't do another season. So there's a whole lot of talent there. Um, and, you know, just based on the, you know, the cream rising to the top in, 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 in a category like Formula 1, there's a lot of great races that, are never going to have the opportunity. Look at someone like Nico Hulkenberg. He raced uh, in Formula 1 for the better part of a decade and never really had a chance to, to race in a top car. So even when we talk about him not getting a podium, realistically, there were very few opportunities for him to even you know have a sniff at the podium considering and the then, dominance of Mercedes recently. And that, then he was a Le, a Le Mans winner. Yeah. And the one chance he got that and sort of like Nick DeVries goes to Formula E because he couldn't get a seat. And he's a Formula E world champion. He's killing it, yeah. yeah. I suppose that's what, that's what makes yeah. it the pinnacle, though. There's 20 seats, the 20 best yeah. drivers in the world, all 20 best drivers in the world. I think that demonstrates that it is the pinnacle. Minus, yep. minus Lance, I think you're going to say. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to say Lance. Like It is what it is. We all know my feelings on Lance. It's, it's the other uh, pay driver, I think, that I have the issue with at the moment. The oh, interesting yes. thing... Sorry, Mick, keep going. Um, I was going to say... It's funny with, um, you know, if, if looking at F1, um, and, and sorry to bring MotoGP into it so early because we'll talk about that later, but, um, you know, we, we saw when, for example, Mar um, Mark Marquez went down and the impact that had on, on MotoGP in the sense that other riders who normally wouldn't really get a sniff um, on the podium 
rose to the occasion in the in the time he was gone, um, and then got that confidence to make a you know a far more competitive season following, and that should continue. It'd be inter- it'll be interesting to see in F1, um, you know, if and when Hamilton does retire, um, if you know if Max stays in a you know in a in a seat that remains um, head and shoulders above the rest, bar say Mercedes. Um, which I don't see happening. But if that was to happen, does anyone challenge Max, um, or you know, or does or do the new regs allow you know this crop of drivers that you've just referenced um, an opportunity to rise to the occasion and really challenge me? And we start seeing multiple teams with, and multiple races going for that championship. That that would be really um, interesting for me, and I'm sure for other fans because it's like it's like you're saying that there is this massive crop of of your, massive. There is a large crop of young players that just need to make that that extra step. So um, it's quite intriguing to think about. My big question, Mark, is Ferrari. If Ferrari can get a car that is, you know, competitive with the with the, whoever's at the top of the pyramid next year, I would love to see what their two drivers can do in relation to challenging for um, championships because I think there's a lot of potential there. I wonder if it'll stay all... Uh... Happy, happy, like it has been this year. That'll be interesting to see as well. Probably not, but see... that's that's a good thought. Mm. I just want to see what these new cars actually look like. I'm, I'm dying to have a, a glimpse at, a, at one of these new shaped cars. That's that's for sure. I can't wait for testing. And we've got the release dates too um, for a few of them. I think McLaren's, Mac- McLaren, Aston, and is it Mercedes are all and yeah. Ferrari. I think yeah, they've all, all been announced. What's McLaren? The 22nd of Feb or something, or 14th of Feb? No, I think they're doing it. It's pretty they're late. Doing a, no, they're, doing they're, a, they're doing a release of all three of the F1 yeah. IndyCar and Extreme E all at once. Mm, it's pretty cool. Mm. It'll be a big, big event. Um, let's move on. I think um, so. We had another question from Sam. Um, if Michael Schumacher didn't retire at the end of 2006, would he have reached the 100 win mark and exceeded the seven World Drivers' Championships that he won? I thought that was a pretty. Does anyone know how many thought. races he's won right now? Is it 90-something? Is I'll it early 90s, 91? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know, because when he retired, Nando was just coming in. 91. Um, 91 he and, had, um, okay. I think, he, I think he might have got over 100, that's for sure. Because even though Lando, uh, not Lando, uh, Nando was um, winning the championships, he was, st- he was still... They were going down to the last race. Yeah, they're still they very, very competitive. Well, even um, Kimi winning. I think Kimi only won one race in the year yeah. he won his championship. Yeah. I think then that Massa he, also won a few races when he won as well. Sorry, he nearly yes. won a championship. I think there was, mm. there's a, there was a better chance of him winning another championship than getting to 100 races. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I yeah. think the like I think that when he left, there was quite a lot. Like There wasn't necessarily... Some one person dominating the sport for a couple of years, so I think he could have got away with four or five wins, a few podiums, and 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 maybe yeah, and maybe stolen another podium. So I reckon that would have been more, um, more How realistic. How many years has he gone for? Two years? Um, no, it was two or three, three, three years. Or three. Sure. Didn't he come back? When did he come back? Two thousand and eleven, wasn't it? Um, or was it two thousand ten? Don't quote me. Two thousand ten. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was four four five years. No. Uh, yeah, it was 2010 because they wanted but they wanted Button to stay with after Braun, and then he went to McLaren, and then they signed Schumacher. Yeah, that's right. I reckon. No, I reckon he easily would have got to 100 wins if he was four years out. Mm. Yeah, I agree. 
Interesting. What could have how been? Dif- how different his stats would have looked. Well, his stats he looked too early. He, nah. His like, stats in, do you reckon he left? Do you reckon he left the sport the first time too early. Yeah, he probably left a year or two too early, but he was under pressure because Ferrari wanted Massa to come in. Um, so where could he have gone? Where could he have watched instead of retiring in that first nowhere. situation? He could have gone anywhere he wanted to, but look, if you watch that that documentary that came out recently about him, you would you would think that. you would think that after all those years, he would have had a little bit of a little bit of fatigue because the yeah. amount of like hours and and like um, extracurricular work he put into getting that car where it needed to be, um, and like even Eddie Irvine says, like above and beyond other races in other teams, you would probably think that he probably just needed a rest. <laughs> Like that's been doing a, it a long that's time. It's probably yeah. very interesting. Another probably consideration that he, he left the championship when Alonso won two champion. He left when Alonso had won two championships mm. on the belt, and it would yeah. have been fairly, I think, re- realistic for, for him to consider that this young guy was coming through and, you know, might have you know won four on a four on a roll, um, just with how competitive the car was, and he might have just thought I'm, I'd rather leave a little bit early than stay a little bit late and and kind of languish more. Mm. Um, but when we consider that he finished runner-up both of those seasons, took the championship, you know, very deep as well. I'm pretty um, sure the, the second season went to the last race. To Suzuka. So he could have, yeah. I reckon he could have won another one. But, yeah, we're talking about a guy that's won seven, so that's hardly yeah, that's right. anything to scoff at, right? Yeah. All right. Joey, you want to lead us in with our first uh, pondering? Yeah, let's have a let's have a ponder. Um, so, as a, as there's no motorsport on at the moment, or saying that it's just everything's just starting to come back, um, I was sort of thinking about the role that well, the the motorsport in like or all in entertainment in general, like it's not competing against other versions of itself, like other motorsports. Everything now is competing with like people's time and like Netflix. Like that's that's the realistic um, like competition for all motorsport, and I was just thinking, what do um, these different categories put out for their fans in the off season or just uh, media like that they put out in general to keep the fans engaged when there's nothing happening? And um, I was trying to think like who like who's done it well, who hasn't done it well. Um, like easily, uh, Formula One's Drive to Survive has been a massive success especially with like um, people who just didn't know about the sport. Like I've heard it, heard about it so many different times randomly on different podcasts about it. And these guys are like, Oh, I didn't know what it was. And then um, it's a curated sort of documentary about the season. And you think, well, that's like, um, if that's sort of touching those kind of circles, like it's um, it must be sort of spreading the formula one wings in the off season, just before the new season begins. Um, and I was sort of thinking over the last couple of years, who have actually done a good job of sort of propagating this sport and making it accessible for new fans to, to uh, get involved with. And I just wanted to know what you guys thought about that and what experiences you've had with um, like different categories and keeping engaged. Well, yeah, sorry, yeah, you go, H. H. You go, H. I just, um, I refer back to, 2020 when um formula one was postponed for the first i think it was six months or 
after it got canned in Melbourne and they didn't race yeah. for three or four months, they did the esports mm, online. Yeah. They did um, every Sunday they played a, a classic race mm, on, yeah. on F1 TV and on their YouTube channel. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, that kept me engaged in the sport. I was able to, you know, watch those races. You know, the esports, you know, it, it's all right to watch the highlights. I wouldn't sit there and watch the whole thing, but they got celebrities in. I remember they had like Courtois, the goalkeeper from Real Madrid, you know, in the yeah. esports. They had all these like footballers and different celebrities in these races. Yeah. And I think that in Garrick's or something as well. And probably he loves Formula yeah. One. Um, I think they had heaps of different people and it kept it actually brought new people in as much as we say drive to survive did i think that did as well and yeah. i think their socials are way better than anyone else's um yeah. so, same with the teams the teams are awesome but like teams like mclaren red bull their social media presence is amazing and i think it keeps the fans engaged all year round I'm managing our I'm managing our socials and I don't see much from the other sports, especially yeah. someone like Supercars barely use their their social mm. media. I feel like yeah. um, I feel like that's really true. F1 compared to say MotoGP have a far more consistent presence um, in the off season, um, but that's across Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, which I think are, are your main three. Um, MotoGP do a good job in the season. So like they're very active in the season, but even saying that F1 do really good two to five minute clips with excellent subtitle work. Um, and you can, um, and you can see what the drive, the races are saying, for example, to their crew chiefs and, and back. Um, I just find F1 videos ultra professional. Um, they also have an awesome YouTube page, which is constantly updated. Whereas for example, MotoGP, um, I find the teams themselves do a really good job. Like Harry was saying with F1, the teams have a really good presence, um, but MotoGP tend to just put clips up during the season and then leading into the race, whereas I find F1 is way, way more consistent. Um, so MotoGP also did the esports, but it just wasn't as, I don't think, as well done as, say, F1. Um, it's hard because for them, it's Saro, all GT3. It's hard for them to do esports on a on the motorbike game though because it's all third person. Just, they're all just on a controller, so that actually isn't yeah. the same level of school. Oh, it's still alright. It just yeah. wasn't as gripping as as say um, F1 was, or even like even supercars were doing esports and life, and that mm. was fun. Um, yeah. I remember watching they the did. Bathurst one. That was that was. They the did the best episode. job on this on the esports, to be honest, and they yeah. were the first guys to do it. Mm. Um, no, I the SRO GT3, they did um, a great job with their their esports. They have always had a good presence, and they, you know, it wasn't really yeah. anything different from them. I think for supercars to be able to get the likes of Lando Norris and Max Verstappen to come and do a race night for them as well shows how how well they established that. To answer your question, though, I think everything did begin with Drive to Survive, and if you think about the captive audience that it's been able to generate it's it's phenomenal the thing that i reckon might be a consideration for formula One moving forward though is when they release drive to survive i think we're at a point now where the audience is has been generated and i think that it, they might actually leave it a little bit too late um like in the sense that it's just before the season starts where mm. i think it might it might be a little bit maybe even if they did an episode a week just to build the, antif- the anticipation for it. Because I think we find that it's, you know, 10 days before the racing starts, you smash through it and then it's kind of like, oh, well, that's done. So I don't know. I reckon maybe they could, you know, bring it a little bit 
forward just to fill the gap in the offseason a little bit more. I'll tell um, you this quickly. That's one what thought that I had. What you're saying about the episode a week, when that they released that, um, what was that Michael Jordan documentary called? Oh, uh, yeah, the um, Last like, Dance. When they, when they yeah, released the Last dance. dance, and it was, I think it was two episodes a week. Mm. Um, like it was enough that you got to watch enough, but also um, the way they spaced it, like it kept you wanting more. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that was that was a really good way to sort of release that. And I think that that sort of had the same impact of how F1 has sort of taken like F1 to, to uh, different people that had the same um, sort of impact on basketball, mm. especially for like me who actually enjoys it. Like I didn't really know that story that well. Um, you know, even... Also, um, I'll, even... I'll, just I'll just raise something yeah. quickly because that, that's a really interesting point. Um, with these sports docu-series or document um, documentaries, particularly with the docu-series, like for example, Drive to Survive, we tend to find they, they're either pre-season um, or post-season and um, deviating slightly from F1, the NFL have a really good um, pre-season um, docu-series, you know, known as um, Hard Knocks and has a massive following. And due to how massive its following is, um, this year NFL actually did two series. So they did the usual preseason one, and then they did an uh, um, an in-season series as well on a different team. And I and if thinking about Drive to Survive, it would be very interesting to see if something like Drive to Survive actually eventually becomes you know a running series that that goes throughout the season. I think that would be really um, really cool because they do such a good job before the season. Um, how cool would it be to have a series like Drive to Survive, but, you know, it's updated once a week throughout the season. That That is something that, you know, I'd like to see. Um, only having watched one series, I was hooked straight away um, just on how professionally it's done. Um, how cool would it be to, to have it run through the season? And, um, that, that to me would, you know, be something that I think would be effective moving forward as well. Ooh. What about this? I, is sort a... of, I can't bring one thing quickly. Just... Um... So we're sort of discussing the documentaries and all so this you kind bring, of stuff. You bring, you bring everything in quickly, very slowly. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> mate, this is my pondering. I'm just, I'm just inviting you along for, for a yeah. chat. Um, so I wanted to uh, also mention, like sort of get these different looks. So we're discussing Drive to Survive, which um, for, even though it's cheap, it's still behind a paywall, like the mm-hmm. Netflix paywall. And then we also have discussed the social media stuff, which is free. Um I just wanted to sort of get your thoughts as well um, when it comes to like these different categories. Like obviously Formula One is the biggest motorsport championship in the world. So everything that they do pretty much is going to be behind a paywall, like watching it is behind a paywall. Drive to Survive is behind a paywall. And then ever since uh, Liberty sort of come in, they've started letting them put more stuff out onto the social media, sort of making um, like little bits here and there, get, get a bit of free content and, um, and uh, visuals out there. But in terms of other categories, like let's talk about IndyCar, let's talk about V8 supercars a bit. Um, these are these categories aren't as big as Formula One, right? But they still have um, like to watch them. It's still it is still behind a paywall. Uh, one thing I, I sort of want to get your um, thoughts on as well is like so supercars brought out that documentary on the um, they have that documentary of what's it called? That that walk and joy documentary. I can't remember what the title of that documentary is, but that was that came out behind a paywall. And I think, like thinking about it, that I think was a massive um, sort of missed opportunity 
to um sort of get neutrals involved because you need to be like know it exists behind it's that come out to it's, watch it. It's come out on YouTube now for free. Yes, yeah, so I so I saw that I saw that, and that's why I was bringing that up because now they've brought it out on YouTube. But do you think um like bringing it out later on a sort of a free service has hampered it, or do we need or do different do these different categories need to sort of work out what can we release? Like, because YouTube is a YouTube is a massive tool. Like you'll see, mm. like I'll, like from what you know, Ant, when we wanted to get into sort of following GT racing, there was um, so many so many like well put together documentaries by Porsche and um, WEC about Le Mans, and even just like the uh, what's it called GT World Challenge is free on YouTube as well to watch, which is phenomenal. Um, which is yeah, which is phenomenal. Uh, what do you think about incorporating sort of stuff like high high um high caliber content on these on free services like even streaming on Facebook or YouTube? I think Ooh. it depends on the contract on the contract they've got with their their Box. provider. So if mm. if supercars have a contract where any documentaries or anything that are that are created that have to be exclusively released through Fox, um, do, I'm sure think- supercars would prefer to put it out free. But do you think, um, like, when they come to making these contracts, they should think about um, sort of working, or like, having a clause in there that they can release free content sort of on the outside? Just I don't think it's really a problem. The growth of the sport? No, I think, like, obviously, if you've got Fox, you you got, what, an extra month out of watching that particular um that particular series and then it came out for free a month later. So I don't think, I think that's probably the way to go about it. I don't think it hampered him a whole lot at all, but the interesting thing, and I think it was a very good um, thing for supercars to do. I would probably have liked to see a little bit more diversity because they tend to do like they follow one team around and maybe that's just because of the, you know, finances they have available. They might just have one team that's, you know, you know, put on the, uh, you know, onto that particular project for the year. So they might not have the ability or the scope to have more teams in the, in the series at once, but they've done it with Erebus. They've done it with um, Walkinshaw. Walkinshaw. And I found it, it is interesting, but I think for someone that might be coming into the sport, it might not have an, uh, enough diversity for them. But it's I too thought- inside baseball. Yeah, I think it might just be too insular in relation that it's to one team. What if they don't like that team? What if they don't like those drivers? Or you know, it might not mm. engage them. Whereas Formula Drive to Surviving is engaging to everyone. I think another like thing that needs to be taken into consideration if we were to compare apples with apples, think about Formula One and the um, you know the market that Budget. it now has due to Drive to Survive, the market, the people that it's been able to bring in. And think about its equivalent in MotoGP, who up to this point hasn't released any kind of series that delves into the paddock of MotoGP. Although they will be this they year. W- they will be. And that's really important. But think about how much, like five years ago, unless you knew about Formula One, it was kind of like, it wasn't something that you could just talk to um Someone, that, so, someone that's on the fringe, you know, any, people on the fringe didn't know about Formula One. And now you talk to them about Formula One and they get a little bit more interested in racing and you bring up MotoGP and they still have no idea on yeah, what MotoGP but it, is. But I digress because in saying that, even though you, you're making the point five years ago, just fit, not as many I, people knew. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in after you've made your point. Yeah, but like think about 
think about this. Like MotoGP as a spectacle probably has an even better chance to create engaging series than Formula One does because the amount of overtaking that's involved and, and like all that kind of stuff would make it easier to make it seem exciting. You know what I mean? Mm. But we're, we're, they're at the point now. I don't even think it's debatable, if I'm being frank. I, I, from a neutral's perspective, I do think the cars look more dramatic and it looks, to, for a spectacle overall, I think, yeah. I, I get what you're saying, the overtaking and all that's better. I, I mean, I mean just a spectacle of racing, not a spectacle yeah. of the the um the carnival, if that makes sense. But if you're trying to get new fans in, yeah. what's going to draw them in more? That, that's where I'm coming from. I feel like it's all yeah. business. I, f- I feel like... You've got F1, which is like the, you know, the holy grail. People know F1. Even if you don't follow it, you know what it is because it's always been there. It's always had a massive market share. And we're making the point that five years ago, maybe it wasn't, you know, the market wasn't as saturated. Fair enough. And they've done an excellent job in expanding that. But it was always there and people always knew about it. It always drew big crowds. And it's, you know, it's the almost like the be all and end all of, of international motorsport. In saying that, you know, Ant made the point. MotoGP is fantastic racing. It draws massive crowds. It's getting bigger and bigger. But their their marketing is way behind the F, is way behind F1, yeah. and they they clearly need to, and I think they are adapting to what Joseph has been saying about how the modern consumer takes in motorsport and what brings people in, etc. I actually find um, the GT3 approach really really interesting because they're free on their races are free on, free to stream on YouTube. They're free to stream on Facebook. I think to myself, you know, they've obviously got to be to be doing it free. They've obviously got a lot of money, um, heaps of money being pumped into the sport to be able to do that. Is that though a market penetration strategy whereby they're using that to get people in? And will that change um, later down the line? I don't know. Um, we spoke about this a few in? at the end of last year. Sorry? About, we spoke about the GT model at the end of the last year where a lot of, the funding to go racing actually comes from pay drivers and from the um yeah yes. from the uh, manufacturers. What I'm, what I'm saying is involved. the money's there. We obviously know the money's there, but is their marketing strategy, which they're currently using, which is effective, um, is that something that they'll that they'll be looking to do um, long term, or is it just a situation now where they're trying to attract more and more people and, and expand? Um, is that their strategy at the moment? F1 can command um, you know the highest contracts from the highest bidders. And because because they're there, they've got the product, and it's up to them um, to determine how they disseminate that. So that they don't have to um, establish themselves, so to speak, because they're already established. So I think the business side of things definitely comes into it, and I think you're seeing other leagues like MotoGP adapting to what F1 are doing um, and realizing there's so much more potential if they kind of you know move with the times. So that's you know that's just the way I'm seeing it. I think, I think okay. if they do release a series similar to Draft to Survive, it'll definitely draw new fans in. And then it might give them the scope to improve their socials to, to kind of mirror what Formula One's doing. Because if they're doing that at the moment, like, I don't know about you, but some random on the street's not going to go look at MotoGP's Instagram well, page. Even if you yeah. look at the MotoGP app, for example, it's quite um, limited in a sense, but their video content is fantastic. And during the 2020 season, they really started... Um, focusing on making like mini four they do a lot of four-part mini series on through the app that you can watch that's really good content super so professional highly engaging and i think that's that was kind of like their their segue almost into what they they're allegedly producing this year which is a drive to survive-esque kind Ride of to survive. Um, mini, 
So can I can I just no segue idea. off of your paywall comment? Yeah. Oh, okay. Stan Sport getting IndyCar, that's frustrating. Oh, it's, it's yeah, it's gonna go it's gonna get paid for somewhere. But even if even with some of those categories that are behind a paywall and maybe a little a few more obscure ones. So I'm I don't know if any of you are interested in um motocross MXGP or um supercross, but those like those racing series, everything is behind the paywall. You can't really access any information without having a yearly subscription to watch any of the racing. But what Monster have been doing and Red Bull with Red Bull TV for the last couple of years, but they are always putting up uh, little docu-series about riders, about the seasons, etc. that all go up on YouTube and they're very regular. And that, that in and of itself being free, on YouTube when everything else is behind a paywall is, you know, gathering a huge consumer base as well. Now that might be their marketing strategy to get people to, you know, you know, buy the yearly subscriptions, but even something like that, that is being updated every week or every fortnight with another episode, you know, following a season, something like Michael saying where they've got, you know, um, they're, they're, they're racing a season. And then every couple of weeks, there's a video about, about how the season's progressing might be something that is is beneficial as well because it's extremely engaging. And Porsche have done the same thing this year with uh, Michael Fassbender in his you know attempt to get to Le Mans for, for three years. You know, they've done it for three years, but it's even three this year seasons. they've they've created longer videos at almost you know 20, 25 minutes each. You know, um, chronicling his you know each race of the season, and that's been fantastic as well. So I think it's definitely the way of the future. Um, so hopefully this is, this was, it's garnering a bigger audience from it as well. So this was sort of my next part and you sort of jumped the gun, which is fine. Um, so you, yeah, you, you sort of brought up a really good um, thing with the Supercross because we both, that's both our guilty pleasure. Um, so we see Red Bull and, and Monster really getting involved with that sort of bringing teams and riders to the forefront, but also we we've seen a lot of, riders have their own YouTube channels mm. and bring their own content in as well, like with a yep. pretty professional um, sort of content. And then also uh, news outlets for, um, for, um, for that sport as well, also doing uh, like sort of rider interviews straight after races. And, it's, mm. and the, you know, then the content comes out really quick and really fast. So even though the, the actual sport is behind the paywall, teams, riders and sponsors involved, um, have Everything got a lot of con- I've got a lot of control to so so the fans can go oh I, I'm not going to pay for the subscription but like I can still see my favorite writers hear them talk um, like there there is a like so many good channels for that so that was sort of what I was going with like even though the sport is behind the paywall then do we sort of expect like because I'll tell you he does it really well Lando Norris in Formula One has a really good YouTube channel that will bring in a lot of casual fans because he has that quadrant like house thing as well. Um, I'm just thinking like, do, do we need to see more of that in the, in the sports we're sort of discussing? Because I think now like there's a, for fans of all sport, there's really an appetite for that kind of content. I feel like allowing your riders or your races, um, giving them free reign in the sense of, of them, their own marketing brings heaps of fans to the sport anyway, because, you know, there are people that will follow a certain racer or follow a certain rider. And if their their publicity and their marketing is done well, then naturally it's going to bring more people to the sport 
that way as well. So it's 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 allowing. I feel like it's allow, the governing bodies allowing their their athletes to market themselves in ways that are attractive to, like you said, the casual viewer. That will enhance the sport and and bring in more more viewership in and of itself. So I think it's um, a good, yeah. I think it will happen like, organically as the field of drivers in Formula One gets younger, and they become more tech savvy, for use of a better word, more you know ingrained in the streaming you know culture. It will happen more organically. If you, you think about Lando, you think about Max, you think about Charles Leclerc, even Alex Albon, like they're all the younger drivers. And they kind of all pretty savvy with their own channels or streaming things, etc. Even so, even Lando and Max playing Warzone together when that was popping off, mm. like that is like massive for their own brand because they're sort of bringing themselves into a different sort of medium, and people can watch them playing something that's popping off, mm. and um, like they just getting exposure for that, and then they can bring them over to sort of like this is what we do in our day job. The way of the future, I mean, you see it with people like Cristiano Ronaldo, and he was like way ahead of the curve. I mean, his social media was popping off, you know, 10 years ago. And, and mm-hmm. I, I mean, look at Manchester United, for example. They they bring him in at the start of the season, and their Instagram page increased by like something like 400 million um, followers yes. in like three hours or something purely because of Cristiano Ronaldo moving there. Yeah. So, like, Jersey's- it's a social media world, it's a marketed world, and allowing big names, big figures. I mean, not everyone's Cristiano Ronaldo, but allowing the athlete to generate that interest surely only um, benefits the actual sport or the yeah, league or competition. We're praising Formula One, but let's think back five years when Bernie was still in charge. There was there was none of this access to Formula One back then. The drivers were were not you. They weren't allowed to even post anything from the pit lane. Like mm. completely different. Liberty Media takes over. They're obviously a media company. That's where it's all stemmed from. So if, if Bernie's still in charge, we're having a completely different conversation here. Yeah. And the other thing is, well, I think we forget marketing, that marketing, these, marketing. these different mm. sports have sort of got different budgets as well. Like F1 has got the biggest budget, so they should, like, should be putting out the most and best of the content, whereas sort yep. of it should filter down. Uh, one last point from me is then what role does um, video games for the sports also um, sort of have its well, – what, what place is that? have in this this sort of cooking pot go h I'll let you can go i first. ask is there a moto yeah. gp game yeah there yeah. is see i have no idea about that i know there's a f1 game i know yeah. there's a super supercars game but i had no idea there was a moto gp there is there is a moto gp game, game but it, it is there used even, to be didn't there yeah 10 years ago yeah. it's still pretty ago. niche it? though <laughs> yeah. it's still pretty niche yeah i think for moto gp it's hard because f1 even you know it's still sim-like. You can still buy a wheel um, and feel, you know, very engrossed in the game. Somewhat engaged like, in it, yeah. Yeah, I yep. feel like MotoGP, it, it, it's a good game. Graphics are awesome. Physics are pretty good. But it's just not, it's just, you know, at the end of the day, you're still using a controller. It still doesn't feel as immersive as, say, F1. Um, it's not an authentic sim in, in saying that. So, it, it, I mean, I suppose it's harder to do, but... Yeah, I think the F1 is miles ahead of in terms of the game. Um, um, yeah. But you know what I reckon, Joe, to answer your question, you know what I think was the biggest catalyst for series thinking or realising that they were behind the eight ball in relation to video games? COVID. Because when COVID yeah. hit and there were some sports that could say, all right, let's start an E-series on our video game, 
and you know happen you know very quickly they're like oh you know there's this huge traction there's this huge interest in f1 as a video game for example motor gp were able to do it straight away gt were able to do it straight away they got on board very quickly with with ACC and then there was some other you know sports like even supercars for example supercars was accessible to um the teams for example because they had i racing but for yeah. the for the casual consumer on an Xbox or on a PlayStation who wanted to engage in that or was watching the the sim league but didn't have a computer or didn't have you know the amount of money to pay for you know all the different cars for the i racing it still wasn't that engaging for them. So I think those yeah. those sports that you know were able to get involved with it early, or ha- obviously had it as part of their strategy to to you know um, sell themselves, saw the benefits of that. And if you think about now, you've got IndyCar that's creating a game, you've got NASCAR that just come up with a new game, you've got British touring cars that have a new game. You know all these big sporting, all these big motorsport um, entities are all really asking for those games because they realize how much of a connection, and we spoke about this last year as well, how big a connection can be built between a fan, um, you know, and a sport just based on the level of, you know, application or immersion that can come from a video game, particularly with how realistic they are now. Also, exactly. They've got to be realistic. They have to have full sponsorship. People want, you know, in that situation where racing was, was off, you're looking for realism. You're looking for how close the racing is. You're looking for cars and teams that are the real cars and teams. So you mentioned ACC, for example. It's the official game. It's got the exact um, cars, the exact liveries, teams, F1, same, MotoGP. Tracks, people go. Sponsors. People instantly want to, to go there because it's the next best thing. If not, they can't get real racing, let's go, to, let's go to e-racing because it's what we see. It's just not. You know, it's just a game. So, like, if and if the racing is close, as we saw with ACC, as we saw with F1, people are going to watch. People will watch. You bring, uh, you know, p- the fans. That's another thing that the, that the pandemic showed. People don't really care what they're watching if it's marketed well and it's somewhat interesting. They're going to watch. Um, and you know, all the viewership of those of those E series also were free. So smart thinking there as well. Um. We're gonna start uh, the like, racing line podcast E series this year, boys. There's not a um. There's I'm not Playstations. A... <laughs> you're the um. You're Mate, the odd one out here, brother. Yeah, um, I can't. I've been bagging out Xbox my whole life. I can't do it. Don't worry, Michael as well. But we still, these guys we still um, convinced him. It, well, I was kind of left. I was kind of left in the drift, and if I didn't, if I didn't um get one, I'd I'd have no one to play with. So that's how I, they got me. <laughs> I sort of finish with this. Like there is, there is no denying that. GT racing is the quickest growing sort of um, sort of flavor of racing at the moment. And it's not by accident. Um, Like when you think about what we just spoke about today, like the amount of content that they put out, the amount of uh, like the the, um, free uh, access to watching their races, having the dedicated game, like, very early on that game was sort of announced i think in 2015 sort of when the scene was exploding and it came out probably a year and a half later um and and this is not like the blueprint for all sport but like i think of like v8 supercars like that's close to my heart um i feel like there is certainly like holes in that in that sort of and and it's all to do with budget as well but there is there is things that they could do that would just make it um, 
easier for someone to sort of get access to fall in love with it. You know what I mean? Like, cause that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get people to fall in love with it. You hit the nail on the head, Joe. It is the blueprint. If you look at um, Kunos and how, and how closely they work with the actual um, governing body in developing that game. And then, like you said, with budget, they, they, their allocation to that game is massive percentage wise. If you compared how much the, um, that championship puts into the game and the game's development compared to say F1 who might, you know, be putting a lot of money in, but it's kind of like almost, it, it might be definitely with MotoGP almost like an afterthought, you know, we're going to make a game for the, for our championship, but we're not going to allocate that much money to it. As long as it's good and it looks all right, then, then we've got a good game. If you make the game better, you're going to, you're going to get more people playing the game and in turn, you're going to get more people, um, you know, watching your product. So I feel, I feel like it is the blueprint. You know, there's no, re- there's a reason why it exploded during, um, during lockdown because it's, it's such a good game. It's so realistic. People want realism. They want to be as close to the experience as they can. And, you know, you see people going from, for example, ACC into amateur teams now. And, you know, isn't that just, isn't that the dream? Obviously it'd be harder in F1, but it's not impossible. I just I want to bring it back Lando to... actually talked about it recently. I just want to bring it back to supercars. Um, and we were talking about how, you know, they, they missed the boat on a few things. And I will say the, the Sydney events that they had last year and the, the festival of speed that Motorsport Australia put on up at Bathurst, that marketing, that was the most I've heard about V8 supercars in years. I think that that those two events there, or you know, multiple events, but at two different venues, created the most buzz I've heard of supercars in in a lot. I don't know what you boys think, but in a very long time. And I think I, stuff I, like that, if they can piggyback off that, it would just grow even bigger. Do you know? What? I'll be I'll, I'll be I'll be honest with you. Supercars have a very, for whatever reason, they have a very good way of shooting themselves in the foot. Now, I completely agree with what you're saying, right? And when we think about, like I just made the point before, of all these smaller categories investing in or making sure that they sold a license to get a video game out there. And if you think about IndyCar or if you think about British touring cars, they're on a, a fairly comparable level with um, supercars Super as, as a domestic product. Mm-hmm. GT Racing and Formula 1 and Moto3 we're talking about, that's obviously on a different level. But as yeah. far as the domestic product is concerned, they're fairly comparable. Yet they're the only one of those entities that hasn't put, you know, any licensing into getting a video game made. I can go now, download a game and race Brazilian stock cars if I want to. I'm not lying. Believe you. Sponsored tracks, everything's there. Yet I can't do that for supercars. And supercars is the biggest category in Australia. If you want to engage a young audience, they're always talking about trying to get a younger audience in. If you want to engage them, you need to meet them where they're at. And w- rightly or wrongly, where they're at in the 21st century is in front of their Xboxes and Playstations, right? And with, if we're talking about supercars of yesteryear, when supercars brought out their first game, supercars two and supercars three, you know, over a six-year period, like even talking amongst my cousins and things like that. I had cousins that were super interested in supercars back then and wouldn't be able to tell you, you know, anything about it now. And even from a personal level, that was me. Yeah. There was a period of time where 
as a kid, you you obviously lose access to the game or you lose access because it goes behind a paywall and you're not you don't have access to the sport anymore. How do you get that engagement? So from you know for a for a company like that not to be thinking about trying to get their game produced so that they can engage more people in this day and age, as Michael, you know, so vehemently stated earlier, you know, it's a no brainer. It's really the most effective way to, to build immersion. Um, you, brought up, you brought up British supercar, uh, British touring cars as well. Mm-hmm. And you said they've got a game coming out and, 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 they're, and they're behind a paywall, which is fine. Like I'm not uh, disagreeing, but they also brought out a one and a half hour, season review for last year and that's not behind a paywall that's literally on youtube for everyone to watch and that has um takes you through the like the season with four drivers um has race like sort of race highlights discusses like each event in chronological order so i mean sort of just to wrap it all up like other like other lesser categories are doing it and i just think that um and and you know what i will mention this quickly with, with, I'm bashing on supercars. I think they might have turned the corner because they've brought the um, like all that new YouTube. Um, they've sort of brought out that series about the development of the new engine. They were sort of um, releasing like the the videos for the testing of the new cars at, at uh, the laps they cut at Bathurst, and they had some other videos that came out this week for um, the shakedowns of the new cars again. So I feel like they sort of have gotten into this. Um, rhythm of the, the the new way that it has to be um but in general i think like this is the way that all motorsport has to go because really it's vying for our for our time like we we have to see it to stay engaged like that's why netflix and disney are bringing out movies and tv shows every month so we always are staying on that train and i think it sort of has to happen the same way but that's um that's all from my mullings today, guys. Thank you for joining me on on this journey. <laughs> that was good. I liked it. Because I'm just chat, we, we swallowing so much con- content, and I'm just like, man, we have to discuss this. Hear that? Supercars postponed the Newcastle round today. Yeah, yeah. Sydney. Sydney's apparently the opening round. They postponed that? The British the British the Bathurst event, mm. which is which is now. Right in the middle in of the busiest time, like there's a race before, like a week before and a week off. So I don't know how we're going to get the internationals there. So that's that's probably a bullet that they had to bite. But um, I don't know. Are we still putting? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> Michael, what have you got, bud? Yeah, I just thought I'd bring bring up um two MotoGP related news articles that have come out recently, um that I found rather interesting. I thought the first one in particular could be something that you guys might want to um, give some insight towards because um, we haven't spoken about MotoGP for a while. Um, the race, who actually have fantastic podcasts for um, a lot of categories, including MotoGP and F1, um, put an article out not, not too long ago regarding KTM. Mm. And basically um, the article is kind of proposing this idea that KTM should reconsider um, or, or really take seriously the focus of its 2022 bike, which is a given considering that they regressed last year. But reading the article, which is, on, which is a fantastic article, and I encourage you to read it, um, they made a few good points. And some of the points included the fact that KTM gambled on, um, like a lot of teams did, um, the, the compound of the 
of last year's Michelin tyre, um, which was quite um, conducive to bikes that handled well the year before, as we saw with KTM, Suzuki, um, and then has then completely changed this year or last year rather. So, you know, having built that bike based on that, on, on its predecessor, it's, it's, you know, preceding tyre and then having a completely different compound that was actually radically different last year, we saw its regression um, coupled with the fact that the allowances that they had in their first couple of years or first three to four years were taken away. Um, it kind of put them in a bit of a tailspin. And um, I found that pretty interesting. The, the article then goes on to say that we that there was a market improvement in the bike post round six when they redeveloped their chassis. Um, and we saw that improvement for, for one or two rounds there. But then with Oliveira getting hurt um, and then Binder's confidence just being kind of kind of plateauing in his performance level, not being too great in that mid-season. Um, and also the fact that their satellite, satellite team was absolutely abysmal last year compared to... Um, how competitive they were in 2020, there was that regression with KTM. Um, and then, you know, why are there reasons for optimism? Okay. And, and we talk about the, the engine freeze um, being over. That's for all teams. That should be something that they, they look to build on. Um, they already had and have one of the best bikes in the paddock with regards to raw pace. Obviously, Ducati head and shoulders above everyone else, but KTM had excellent pace and handling and have, and have always had good pace for, for a while now. So, I mean, pace shouldn't be an option. It's getting, you know, the handling of the bike back to where it needed to be, um, which, you know, I think would, will be, will be something that should improve them drastically this season. Um, much stronger satellite lineup heading into 2022, obviously Remy's there. So we, we'd be keeping a, a very close eye on that. They, actually reallocated a lot of their funding prior prior to the start of last season where the season before we've spoken about this a lot joseph they were running essentially four works bikes last season obviously due to the pandemic mostly they shifted to basically focusing on three um but with a, a big focus on the works team um this year though um mira has made it very clear that they will be running four um four bikes again that uh, essentially works um, capability. So I think with all of those things combined, that should be pretty interesting. And I think KTM will be on the up um, next year. Also, Oliveira is back to 100%. And I think, you know, you'd, you'd have to hope that Binder would be even hungrier uh, or hungrier than ever, considering the lineup in the satellite team is so strong um, and will be knocking on the door. So what do you guys think? I found it a very interesting read with regards to KTM. Um, but that, that was, that was my first article that I, I, that I thought the, I'd raise. I guess the biggest over, like the biggest stretch of an article. I was just reading it now as well. You know what I honestly think happened with KTM? KTM weren't bad last year. They regressed when you think about where they were compared to the year before, but they lost their, they lost their, um, we always forget what this this bloody word's called. They lost their like allocation for you know extra engine and parts, etc. So they lost the um, you know the concessions that they were given. Firstly, Oliveira got injured. They didn't have a squat device that allowed them to. Well, they didn't. The bike didn't really handle well at the start. But if you think about Brad Binder in the second half of the of, of races, he had one of the fastest bikes on track. 
So there's reason for optimism there. And I think the biggest thing that they didn't take into consideration, and it's a fairly similar argument that I make with Suzuki, is that they overachieved the year before. They overachieved based on the struggles with Honda losing Marquez and based on the struggles that Yamaha had as well. And they probably got a little bit complacent thinking that they were better than they were. And I don't think they also took into consideration the speed at which the top teams like Ducati, like Honda, like Yamaha, the speed in which they, they can resolve issues. And when Marquez came back, that gave Honda a little bit of an edge. Ducati did a great job in the development of their bike. So I don't think they regressed because the bike was worse. I just think that the competition that should have been there the year before picked up their game. That's, and a, that's a flawed argument in, in because you seem to always make this stupid point that um, everyone <laughs> everyone seems to be, oh, it's, it's you know, KTM and Suzuki only did well because all of the, these other teams, you know, you could make the point that you're saying that they regressed. Like, of, of course they're going to regress. Teams are always developing. If just because one team has a great year doesn't mean that all of a sudden the other team's performing really badly. Maybe they have to adapt like they did this year and get better themselves. Like that Teams aren't stationary. So I find that a really weak point. And I do think they regress because if you're going to have all these allowances taken away, just like Suzuki did four years ago, you are going to regress because all of those allowances allowed you to progress your bike and that allowed you to advance your technology. And all of a sudden they're not there and you're left with dealing yeah, with so, the season. So just like into- every other team, look at, look now I'll, I'll keep going here. Suzuki for M's three or four words. years ago, whatever it was, they were hopeless the year that they had made consistent development since re-entering MotoGP and the year that their allowances were, were taken away, they were junk and everyone made the point, oh, Suzuki has regressed, blah, blah, blah. So it's and a natural achieve, progression then. That's they won the a point championship I'm two years. They won a championship settle, two years settle. later. And it's not because all of these other teams were all of a sudden floundering. It's because they built a bike that was best to the Michelin wheel. Yes, Marquez wasn't there, obviously, but their bike still won out and was consistent throughout the season. So I don't think that it's got, to, got anything to do with all these other teams necessarily performing badly. I feel they like... Did, though. Marquez was injured. We're talking about KTM here. Listen, listen, oh, I'm, gonna talk and- about K- I'm gonna talk about KTM. So what Michael was saying is correct. Um, they developed their last year's bike uh, on the wheels of this previous season. And I remember reading an article probably three set, I think three races into last year, where they had developed their whole swing arm for the back of the bike. They're the only um, only team who uses a full steel swing arm because it's actually hollow in the inside and it's a technology which allows the swing arm to be a lot lighter than the um, other swing arms that are used by different teams. The problem was when the when they got the compound on the new tires, the the balance of the bike on that tire was um, was wrong with that swing arm. They had to re-engineer the whole rear of the bike, including the swing arm mid-season. That's why that was, 20, uh, that was actually in 2020. It was last year as well. I'm telling you. Um, they did it in 2020, but they main, they actually remain consistent. Sorry right. to cut you it off. Happened, it happened last year as well because that's why those Tech 3 bikes were shit at the start of the year because they didn't get a new swing arm until mid-season. All right? But it actually shows um, you. One thing that to, I'll say about KTM yeah. is that they are so quick to adapt to problems compared to other teams that even though um, <laughs> Harry's putting in funny comments in the chat, that even though um, they had that problem, I think that uh, them showing that adaptability to actually get a bike that was then really pretty good during the races, like Binder would always come through to about fourth. I mean, they definitely have to work on their on their starts and their qualifying. But by the end of that year, they had they had really progressed that bike, even though they started off on the back foot. Um, I mean, 
one thing about KTM that you can't say is that they don't spend money. They really are exactly spending, right. They spend exactly a lot right. Of money. And that's so, why I, I mean, think they'll actually win a championship before Suzuki do again because they have yeah. a very strong satellite team that they fund really, really well. And if anyone's going to rebound, um, which is why I agree with this article, if anyone's going to rebound and rebound well, given everything they've gone through, it has to. It would be KTM. So that's that's one of the articles that... that Michael, I agree with that. I agree with that. But I just think that they... I agree with what you're saying. I just think that they overachieved the year before, right? And then last year, they'll probably put in... They they were checked. Last year, they were checked. I know. I understand what you're saying, but I just don't consider three race wins with multiple podiums in 2020 as an overachievement. Even if Marquez was there, those bikes were still outperforming Honda, Yamaha, and Suzuki consistently throughout that year and actually yeah. in the back end of 2020 regardless of whether marquez was there or not they were one of the most consistent bikes but, but think about this tracks. but think about this who was riding the hondas that year you had Bradle, a test rider and you had alex marquez who was riding the ducatis the vizioso even by his own admission was riding had, ktm had it's, like they, it's not like they had a star stacked lineup themselves yeah, they, had Binder, they had espargaro and they had Oliveira. and i understand that i'm not saying that they were I'm not saying that they themselves. were poor. That's another point that you should be making, actually, because they lost Espargo, who was I have made that point. Who developed that this today? He developed that bike for the for the three years before that too. So I that's made another that, reason I, I made that for point a natural the, regression. For the for the past year, I've said that. You know, like yeah. I said again, going back to Suzuki, you lose Alesh, who developed the bike from the beginning, and they had a and it's it's eerily similar because they lost him the year that the allowances were gone as well. So anyway, I think we've spoken about that point enough. I think Harry had a point before I go to my second article. Do you want to say something, Harry? Oh, just from a complete um, newbie to, to MotoGP, you're saying that these bikes are they're struggling on the tyres. I didn't realise mm-hmm. that tyres made such a big difference in MotoGP. Um, you know, obviously coming into it this year, I, I saw, you know, people like Jack Miller picked the wrong tyre at certain points and, and ruined their, the start of their race, etc. But I didn't realize it was kind of make or break it's for not, the bike. It, it normally yeah. isn't. It's just that the, the compound changed. It normally, it, it, isn't. It, it normally isn't, but it actually kind of is now because for the last three years, Warner have specifically complaints. given briefs to Michelin to create different different tires that grain differently under different tracks in different temperatures, etc., to make it more of a balance of, of performance championship. Yes, the bikes come into consideration. We see every year each bike has its own strengths and weaknesses, but the tyres actually play a massive role now. And and on this, like last year showed, the difference between the tyres each season can affect the, the championship. I'll tell you one, one thing that I that I think is absolutely stupid, ridiculously stupid, is that these teams don't get to test on these tyres until the official test. So all the development made on these bikes is on old tires, so that they're making the bikes better for the old for the tire that you've just raced on, and then you come to testing and like you look at like KTM last year, perfect example. You come to official testing and then you go, you're like, oh shit, our bike is actually a dog on these tires, and like there's like is there a chance we can sort of wean it out with settings, or are we going to have to like redesign the whole? swing arm of the bike or change the balance of the bike because the way that this tire works doesn't suit our bike that's an um, interesting point Joe, why is because... why is that though because you see in formula one this year they've been testing the the 18 inch tires and the new compounds all year but like the thing with formula one is that they have a they have a much broader set of tires to work within as well like there's i think like six tires and they have 
three for every race, depending on on the on the mm, the weekend, the, the the thing of the 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 characteristics characteristics of the track. And I think yeah. they have that with 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 MotoGP as well. But I don't think it's as broad of a MotoGP as five tires. Yeah. So just the hard yeah. And the other thing is though, like when you think of a a, a bike compared to a, a a race car, like the the point of contact of a race bike is so much smaller mm. than is on, than it is on a race car. So the characteristics of characteristics of that tire would have much more effect on it. Um, I mean, I don't know why they do. It. I mean, the teams have been complaining about it for three years, but I suppose the other thing then is you have a tire war, and you have these tires that can go full ham for what 40 minutes um and then you have that problem when it's just like a, a procession and whoever's got the fastest bike wins without worrying about preservation i feel so like it's sort enhanced, of a give I feel and like take. It's enhanced it if anything like you look at how look at how you know we spoke we speak about motor gp and talk about how close the racing is and it's not it's not like that because it's not by, by that by accident it's it's by it's like that because the tires do play such a a large role you made the point in testing it's interesting that they haven't had their you know their tropical test in sepang for the last two years and you, you wonder if you know how much of an impact that has on 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 the bike development too because last year sepang got cancelled they go to um indonesia no they they went to they went straight to where the first race was the middle east dubai or, um, um, wherever, Dhabi, wherever the first race was, um, in the and, the, and the whole test was hampered because of sand on the track, so they weren't even yeah. allowed. They, they couldn't even test properly um, with an engine freeze minus one official test at a, at a not, test that was hampered. So that, that that was interesting as well. I'm not complaining about the tires. I just think they should be able to test with what they're going to run. That I year. agree. I agree. That's all I my, my second news article, just to hurry it up. Um, I won't go too too much into this. Was just that Cota. Um, was actually has been resurfaced lately, which I think is massive news for MotoGP, given the fact that um, half the field was making such massive complaints about the surface at parts of the track last season. Um, I, I'm pretty sure Quattararo blast he blasted the 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 circuit um, post race. He called it a joke and things like that. So they've resurfaced two sections of the track. Um, the first section being that windy um, fast. Uh, slalom section it's turns two to ten leading into that left hand sweep to the back straight and then after the back straight the sequence of corners that bend around towards the the home straight um has been resurfaced as well so two big sections of the track completely redone um which should make for even better racing this year in motor gp um and f1 so um just a bit of news to do with kota and the race i love for, that track the race is on april 8th Eight it's to ten track. this season, and it coincides with the race at Albert Park, um, which is also, funnily enough, just been relayed um, in F1. So April eight to ten, and um, for MotoGP, and then obviously F1 arrive in Texas um, on October twenty one to twenty three. So just a bit of news there. I'm interested to see how that that actual resurfacing holds up. That's what I'm interested to know about. Yeah, it was pretty interesting at Albert Park. They put out that video today, the OzGP, and they were showing how they um how they laid the the new surface. And he only had a certain window; otherwise, you create bumps in the surface. You know, you had like a minute or so to get the to get it flattened or whatever it was to make oh, sure the surface was completely flat. Yeah, it was pretty cool the way they they showed how they did it. I actually didn't realize that F one 
generates the most damage on a circuit out of any other category because of the downforce that, that's generated on the cars. I had no idea about that. I, I would have thought that, you know, I don't know, GT3 or something would make... It's also the tyres. But F1, yeah, actually creates the most ripples in the surface because of the, yeah, the sheer downforce. It, Interesting. The tyres are so big that they the torque rips up the surface really bad and shifts the tyre Gents, I think anyway, that's fellas. a good place to end. Yeah. We've covered a that. few... Covered a few bases tonight. Second podcast of the year. H, we'll keep with the um, with the fan questions, and yep. hopefully we'll have a a few different things to discuss in, in 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 podcast number three. So thanks for your time, guys. Awesome, and for all the um, fans out there, please keep um, following our socials, liking, subscribing, spreading the word, and maybe next week or we'll have a few sponsorship things to talk about as well. So. All right, boys, let's leave it there. Have a great night. Thanks, Thanks boys. Have a good one.